Your attention, please. Paul and Alex are required to proceed to the gate immediately. What? No way. What is happening here? This is the last call for the Layovers podcast. Really? Come on, man. This is our thing. We got this. Oh, yeah. And we made it. Of course, geeks. Flight 66 to Copenhagen. It's good to be oh, back. Oh, I know this it's voice. It's good to be back. <laughs> oh, I felt good to do I've never done the intro before. <laughs> it's one of these habits you, we got into and I still simply did it every single time. We should alternate. Good to have it's you good back, good to be Alex. back. Thank you to you and to my brother Will for the last episode, which I honestly had no idea was happening until it popped up on my podcast app. And I was like, what is, what's this? <laughs> but it's a great episode. Great episode. It was great to do it with Will. It was planned for a little while, actually, uh, the fact that we would do at some point an episode with him without telling you. But that obviously was a perfect opportunity. And he was so gentle to do it. Like I said, yeah, whenever you want, Paul, let's just do it. And he, he rolled very easily. You know, I told Will, are you okay doing something like that? I'm just going to throw stuff at you and we'll have have to just follow and he actually was yeah amazing. he did a great job so it was really- i'd forgotten how how much he'd done in the aviation world and he'd done a lot of very different jobs throughout and a lot of the stories that he told i'd never heard before so it was neat to be an audience member on this podcast for a change and not a contributor <laughs> by the way happy 2018 yeah, thank you, you too. <laughs> this year we're going to try to do as many podcasts as we did last year last year we did i think 18 which was a slightly above what we did the previous year, which I I think is our cruising altitude. I think it's harder for us to do like 25 or like the first year, I think we did 30, but it was literally everywhere. But it was almost, yeah, it's, it's, we cannot do it with our travels, etc. But there might be times when whether me or Alex are, are traveling too much where one of us will not be present on the podcast. We might actually do that from time to time. We don't always need to be, I mean, of course, one of us would be nice that we are. Yeah, yeah well, I think it would be a little might be a, otherwise. <laughs> but there might be other opportunities when we'll do that. I mean, of course, we want to have more guests. We say that every single year. I had uh, a few other people lined up to palliate for your absence. But since you're here and actually in London, because you're not traveling, it's actually easy to, to get a hold of you. But I might actually do another one. We'll see. So no travels, no, I guess. No, I've been uh, on the ground since we last recorded because like you, committed to taking a little bit of a break between end of last year and the beginning of this year. But then my daughter came several weeks early and surprised us all. So that that put the kibosh on on any even tentative travel plans I had, which is great. So I'm, I'm not going anywhere on an airplane until the end of next month. Totally different reasons, but probably the same for me. Uh, it's already been f- Almost five weeks I haven't been in the plane, which is very strange. Our listeners were like, what the hell is happening to you guys? Yeah. <laughs> uh, at the same time, I've been traveling intensely for probably 10 years now. And I said already at the beginning of uh, last year, if you guys want to refer to the first episode of last year, that I would be traveling less than the previous year. And that's exactly what I'm going to do again this year. It's When I say less, it's not like doing only two flights, but trying to do better travels. I know that it sounds a bit... Um, 
you know, people are always a bit envious and I understand, right? Oh, you guys are traveling all around and it's cool. And I know it's cool. I know it. we're very lucky to be doing that. But there's some things that are tiring me. So I'm going to do a slightly different type of travels this year because I, I, I need some rest, to be honest with you guys. It is tiring. And as much as we both love it, it is exhausting. And I actually, I know we've talked about this ad nauseum in the past, but I think that that short haul connecting flights or even short haul point to point is tiring because you don't have a moment to relax. They're not exactly the most comfortable environments to be flying in anyway. It is tiring and they were record breaking years in one metric or another for, for both of us, I think when we tallied it up at the end of the year. And that's draining. It is draining. And for me, I've let go of this whole competition thing. They're like, you know, I did that many miles and that many segments and that many flights and that many various aircrafts. And I get it because it's fun, because we love it. But it's been a long time for me already that I'm not really caring if like somebody does oh, like 10,000 yeah. miles more than yeah, I do. Because they, they, there will always be somebody who's doing just an extraordinary oh, way, yeah. amount of travel. And I don't, I don't envy Pilots? them. I really don't envy them. No. It's not a race by any no. stretch of the imagination. Hence the more quality travels, not that... We haven't done quality travels in the past, but I'll try to uh, do a little bit more quality and slightly uh, less and more quantity. recreational, I mean, right? I think that's what you were alluding yeah. to. It's yeah, more recreational too. and not, you know, there, there's there's an implied obligation when you're traveling for business. And there's, I don't know about you, but there's not resentment's not the right word, but it's less on your terms and therefore yeah. harder to actually enjoy it to the fullest. Absolutely. Anyway. That's not because people think we start complaining here. Not at really all. not the point. Just to tell you, we will still have a lot of stories to tell. Plus, there's so many things happening. Actually, I have like a lot of stories that we haven't shared since we last recorded. I did a few, of course, with Will, but I wanted, and, you know, I was also learning actually with Will. I had no idea of his aviation past. <laughs> wow, I've learned so many things. We had a lot of, and I'm going to start the show with that. I mean, it's been eight minutes. We started already. <laughs> uh, I'm going to start the show with uh, with shout outs because you had a lot of, of comments, not only for the episode with Will, but also past. And I want to, you know, thank, because people take the time to send us messages, info, uh, reviews, etc. And I think it's really nice. And again, you know, it, this uh, number is decreasing, which is really great, which, but that also means, and I'm really sorry, and I know I've already said that in other episodes, that I can't always mention everyone, because otherwise we would spend like 45 minutes just mentioning everyone. <laughs> but so please forgive me if I don't, if you really think that you deserve to mention, just, you know, harass me until I do. <laughs> But I'm going to dedicate a few minutes here to, to do a few shout outs. We talked last episode, of course, about Boston, the airport that you had also covered uh, with me, Alex. There's an interesting exchange between Will, actually, and uh, at some talk of me, Pramod on Twitter. I'll just put the, 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 the link on the show notes. But it's really interesting how your brother and uh, at some talk to, of me are discussing about, you know, the quality of the gates and the quality of the boarding experience at Virgin slash Alaska and where the B terminal is better than the C, etc. So I, you know, I haven't been to Boston in forever, but if you want to learn slightly more information that we said, I'll come to Yeah, there was some the great banter notes. and back and forth there. And I think Boston is one of those airports that a lot of people have very different experiences in. So that was an interesting uh, little uh, little chit-chat that was going on. Rich Oakley, Richard Oakley uh, from South Africa, whom you know, you had on your episode of um, Cape Town of yeah. Attaché. <laughs> when, when I tweeted the the fact that there was like a new episode new year 
new host. Of course, it was a cheeky way to say that Will was co-hosting with me. <laughs> he, he said, I clicked on this fully expecting to be Kobus. Uh, <laughs> Kob- Kobus, you're going to be yeah, on the we'll show get at you some on, point. Definitely, because Kobus has got some amazing destinations under his belt last year. On Facebook, there were a lot of comments about Will's episodes, so I, I, I want to mention them because, Will, you were really great. Uh, Vincent says, great episode, guys. Loved Will's stories. Ed Parsons, another great show. Happy New Year, guys. Thank you. And he says, with my eye closed, I could not tell the difference between Will and <laughs> Alex, uh, <laughs> which, which actually was super fun. I replied that we could have the third brother, I mean, Andrew. Uh, we'll talk about him in, in, in a bit. And uh, to which your brother, Will, said, he sounds like Hugh Grant, uh, so I think you'll be good there. To which Wayne Sula answered, he looks like James Bond. So, man, you know what? Andrew, we need you to, to be there because, uh, I mean, neither Alex and, and Will, they're both very handsome, but they don't look like James or Bond. Sound like they don't James sound Bond. like Hugh yeah. Grant. <laughs> <laughs> We should do the third brother at some point. There was uh, Peter Johnson, another loyal uh, listener. He said the episode were worth the loan for the story of the rough sleeper, you know, at Charles de Gaulle, yeah. who ended up stealing the money by almost accident. Such a good story. <laughs> Regarding our episode 64, Alex, the one at St. Petersburg, I have Murad on uh, Facebook, who says, I believe yes. the high-wing aircraft you saw in St. Petersburg was at Antonov 148, yes. the Rossi Airlines, so the, the government owned uh, was it that the one yes it was and it's i i love that airplane we've talked about it in the past but i just think it's such an elegant airplane not many people use it it looks like a a a two-engine 146 Avroliner. Mm -hmm. it's it's just it's very very cool there's only been 39 of them made so there aren't many opportunities to experience them air choreo have a couple of them so next time we go to uh, north korea but the biggest owner as he said is the is the russian government so uh again limited opportunity to experience that airplane (laughs) Well, you never know. He he also adds great episode as always. Thank you, Murad. That's very kind. Uh, 2017 was the year of fake news. Uh, There was this fun banter between you and Kendall about smart luggages and you answered like it was so funny. No, I was being vehemently against stupid things, idiotic, dangerous, and pointless. So Alex, CES just happened in in, in Vegas. Uh, You know, this is this big uh, consumer electronics show uh, with all the hardware that exists that shouldn't even exist actually yeah. appears there. And there was uh, the 90 Fun Puppy One, which is uh, a smart luggage that has sensors and follows you around. Of course, that's stupid. It's a, it's a Chinese company, I think. They went with like press releases and, you know, very sleek videos, etc. And then when you read the, actually the reports, you see that their luggage would fail most of the time, not follow you, but follow someone else or stop following you altogether. I don't see the point of having a luggage following no, you. No, me neither. To be very, uh... Me neither. Can we just <laughs> go to normal people luggage again? Like I, I, I'm done with the smart luggage. I, I don't. Most sensible airlines are banning them. It's over. It's over. <laughs> At uh, Joel Candia, and again, I'm sorry always if I mispronounce your names, guys, just send me back a tweet, message, etc., to tell me how to actually pronounce your names. Said that uh, the Qantas Domestic Business Class Lounge at Perth does indeed serve pizza. Yeah, you remember I made a call. I need to know who serves pizza. We didn't receive actually anyone telling us which European lounge serves actual pizza. The hunt is still on. If anyone knows where which lounge in Europe serves pizza, I know that you know Australians do it better. Clearly, and Joel just told us, but I don't know yeah, where the this pizza is. This is, is going to become a global quest to find the lounge that serves pizza. 
Joel also said that please do a crossover episode on airplane food between mastication nation layovers. Yeah, as you heard in last episode, we'll probably do yes, that some definitely. point. Both Alex and I have like a billion, you know, like we have like cupboard full of uh, airplane menus. We could just read the menus. That would be a full episode, just telling the, the nice. <laughs> uh, there was also, it dates a little bit back, John had completely effed up his last name and he had came back to me uh i think I, I think i gave him the shout out in episode 64 63 i don't remember his name is nolavica so john nolavica he has a youtube channel he actually puts the videos of his travels in planes i'll put the link in the show note for this episode john he's flown actually a lot of uh, u.s airlines including that could be interesting for you, Alex, including uh, American Airlines, because you were telling me the other day that you were thinking of American Airlines. He went to Tokyo with American Airlines, so a f- almost 14 hours flight. I don't know where he was actually leaving from. Uh, maybe in Chicago? I don't know. He actually enjoyed it. He put even a picture of the of the, the seat, probably Herringbone, because your, your, your face is close to the window, yeah. it seems. It, it, seems it does good. look good. It does look good. I th- again, I, it, there's so many great... New business class product and well premium class products coming out that uh, I'm now glancing towards airlines that aren't BA just because I'm being tempted by the hard <laughs> product a little bit more. I'm very confident that I'm not going to requalify for gold on on BA this year, so that's really all it takes for me is just to start looking at, yeah. at other airline products. He's flown United quite a few uh, times, and he mentions the seven seven W, so the three hundred ER. He says it's fantastic, actually, the Dreamliner as well, and even the seven seven two being retrofitted i was i was not harsh i was very neutral on united last time i'm probably gonna try at some point find them again if i do i would like to try their newest uh, products and uh like i am on star alliance so why not so he's actually seems to be kind of positive about them so you know i'll I'll give them a chance why not on facebook james hill says he absolutely love our podcast he's been binge listening at work (laughs) the last few weeks that's again (laughs) glutton for punishment (laughs) and he said you guys turned me to an AV geek. I'm like, I don't know if you want to be responsible for that, James. But <laughs> he says, uh, and that's the point of you mentioning him besides being so kind with us. He says that there was an episode where we had uh, discussed our favorite uh, websites, uh, oh, yeah, aviation yeah. websites. I, I, I know it was at the very beginning. To be honest, James, I don't remember which one it was. But anyway, since that was two and a half years Oof. ago, probably. What we're going to do, not in this one, but maybe in the next or the following one with Alex, we're going to simply dedicate five minutes to say what are currently the websites that we are looking at, where we get the news, but also simply what we enjoy. That's a great idea. That's a great idea because a lot has changed in that two and a half years. And he can certify that he also had pizza in Brisbane Qantas business launch. Australians Australians are taking care of pizza business. By the way, I don't know about you, Alex, but it seems to me that there's a, a lot of aviation-related websites that are based in Australia. Yes, a lot, and some very good ones as well that are yeah that that seem to get a lot of scoops, especially on product. We should find someone from Australia actually to to guest invite. Maybe like a, a good twenty percent of the news I'm getting and I'm reading are on .dot au, yeah. so Australian websites. Yeah, I, I think for a country that is so huge and with a dispersed. Uh, populace, they rely so much on, on air travel that having good sources of information makes sense. Another one we binged our, on our episode is Eric Hoffman at The Husband in Two on Twitter, uh, yeah, also a yeah. loyal listener. Great to have you back. Looking forward for more in 2018. Thank you very much, uh, Eric. He says, we both need to come down to Girona, where he lives now, to eat great food, drink amazing wine, and AV Geek out. Yes, of course, we will do that. <laughs> 
two three or four i don't remember uh podcast reviews on itunes thank you so much guys for actually doing that it's always very very kind the first one from oh these names are always really hard to read out b d Kaney from hungary just found your podcast not long ago but already hooked brilliant entertaining bravo Thank you. Five stars. I mean, they're all five stars. I'm not going to even say five stars. Thank you so much, guys, for being so kind with us. Chip Chick from the US, a fun podcast that will appeal to any airplane geek. I don't get to fly nearly as often as I would like, but at least Paul and Alex let the listener experience their travels vicariously. Thanks, guys. Well, thank you. Uh, from uh, from Australia, Rusted. Brilliant. We love this podcast. Keep the good work, guys. And uh, the last one from Canada. R3 Act 1990 <laughs> must listen podcast. Paul and Alex uh, do a fantastic job making the podcast interesting and fun. I listen to it every day on my drive to from work. Again, every day. My God, are you ready? <laughs> there was also someone, and I don't have it in front of me, that mentioned that he or she was listening to the episode to which airport he or she was going to that day every single time he or she was traveling. Yeah. Traveling to Copenhagen, she would be, or he would be listening to this show, or traveling to, I don't know, Charles de Gaulle, he would have no episode to listen to because yeah, we, we haven't done it yet. Can't so, do it. <laughs> last but not least, Michael, Michael Leppa. I'm not sure I pronounced your name uh, correctly. Uh, at Royal Funk on, on Twitter. I've known him for quite a long time, actually. Michael, did you used to live in Japan or are you always traveling very often? Because I remember you from, from my Japan days. He was tweeting us that uh, he was uh, flying with Finnair uh, to, to, to Tokyo with a backlog of episodes of Layovers. He was listening to us the whole flight. <laughs> and... It seems that, and it wasn't the case until recently, that if you fly Finnair to Tokyo now, there's a yes. 350. Because before they had uh, the older aircraft, I think 330, yeah, which uh, seats were not as good. So that's very good news. I might actually do that to my next trip to Japan. And he went for three weeks of powder skiing in Hokkaido. My God. It looks so beautiful. Lucky. I have a friend who's doing <laughs> that right now. That The pictures are just spectacular. On the way back, I guess he was at Asahikawa Airport. I've been to that airport. It's also in the north. There's also a flight simulator, a 737 simulator. That was wow. a great See, like an as well. Japan really has a lot going on for it, right? In terms of aviation every time. Anyway, Australia. Since we are in Australia, there was this uh, interesting article on The Guardian. The Guardian, actually, the, the website is completely... It's great. Out. And the, and the uh, paper uh, itself. They've gone to tabloid yeah. style. Oh, I haven't seen... Oh, my God. I feel I haven't seen the paper yet. I've only seen the, the app and the website. There was this article that was quite interesting about the, uh, the fuel efficiency. Uh, I think the report was made mostly for airlines that do travel over the Pacific. So it's very... Oceania and Asia based. The most fuel efficient airline is Hainan, uh, followed by ANA and Air New Zealand. The worst, and by far actually, is Qantas. <laughs> and the second worst is Korean Air. And obviously, you're wondering if it's not simply because of the fleet they have. Well, it kind of has to be, doesn't it? Because there's no other, yeah, yeah. there's no other, well, if they're going to be judging it on, on your ground handling efficiency and all that, it has to be. A, how modern your fleet is, I suppose. Mm -hmm. And then the engine choices. And I suppose further down the list or uh, of things that will make a, an impact on that is routing choices, flight time. Hainan, for instance, has, I think, 80% of its flights are on Dreamliner. So clearly they have That's like very recent advantage. You know, <laughs> yeah. And I guess most of the airlines at the top of the list are such airlines. But interestingly, Qantas 
not only has 747s and 380s, you know, four engine aircraft, so that's a lot of fuel, but also they're filling just 74% of the seats. So if you count per passenger, they also have that list. They're actually really bad. Where, where they uh, have other airlines, I think like ANA are very good load factors. Hence, for the actual fuel they're using, the flight is our fuel. It's, I'm glad somebody's done that. I'm glad somebody's looked at that because we we tend to push that to the back of our mind because it's a fairly unpleasant thing to think about. But it is part of our responsibility as travelers to be mindful of the impact that we are having on the environment and to do what we can to mitigate and offset that. Although I think as consumers, our opportunities and options to address that are are reasonably limited. It has to be in the hands of the airlines, the engine manufacturer, the airframe manufacturer. But I think it's important to be cognizant of it at the very least. Passenger load, aircraft efficiency, seating density. Uh, you know, we like it or not, but more seats, obviously, yeah, you know, like, it's yeah, more efficient yeah. <laughs> at the end of the day, right? Uh, but also cargo. Uh, the more cargo, less cargo, because clearly that also influences the kind of uh, the, the efficiency. There, There's a few other examples that are interesting about uh, specific routes. So the most efficient airline from LA to Sydney is uh, Delta. Uh, the second is Virgin Australia, Contas is last again. Another example is LA to Tokyo, which I've actually done. The most efficient airline is United. Mm. <laughs> so United doesn't have everything bad, but I think they're now flying. Dreamliners. Dreamliners, yeah. I think actually our friend uh, Glucode has done a Dreamliner that route. Glucode, correct me. Or maybe was it for San Francisco you did? And the worst is Singapore, which is the one I took. Why? 380, four engines, right. probably, you know, sadly. And actually thinking yeah, about it, Qantas still operate quite a few... They operate A380s and 747s still on those West Coast, US West Coast routes. And like you said, we have a limited thing we can actually do ourselves. We have to be mindful of that. We we, we talked a little bit when we had Tony Tyler about, you know, the uh, environmental issues uh, of, uh, of uh, flying. 2.5% of the global carbon emission or something are from That sounds flying. right. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know whether that's my open question. Is it actually besides making you feel good, is it actually useful to do, you know, these... The um, offsetting? Yeah, the offsets. Thank you. Do you I, do, don't, I, I don't know. know. I think it's just assuaging your own guilt, whether it's actually making a difference to our carbon emissions and their, the effect they're having. I, I I don't know. The cynic in me says probably not. Since we were in the US, we just flew from Sydney to the, to the US, to LA. Uh, a few news about the US. By the way, I'm going to try to commit this year having slightly less front-loading of uh, British news because sometimes in episodes, because we live here, we have a tendency to talk about BA for like 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> so let's try to be a little bit more uh, equal opportunity for all the airlines in this world. <laughs> uh, the US first... Uh, because we always try to follow up to news, the Supreme Court has authorized the ban that uh, the Trump administration has done. It's not it's not over. It doesn't mean that the ban will last forever. But for the moment, the ban is actually up. Trump has actually also said that for the moment, they're not going to retaliate against ME3. They still say, of course, there's subsidies. And they still have a lot of pressure for the U.S. airlines. But they said that for the moment, they're not going to do anything. But they warned that if not sufficient steps are being taken in the future, uh, they might do something about it. They, uh, they're they not going to either ban or add like some tariffs or et cetera to the Middle Eastern carriers, which is, I mean, good news. For it is good news for competition. And I think that the Airbus, Bombardier, Boeing... Delta shenanigans that have been going on (laughs) do illustrate the point that the U.S. government is willing to act. This isn't something where they they cannot or will not 
do something. I think their hands are a little bit more tied on this because the argument is so much weaker than than the Bombardier Boeing stuff. But they will do it and they've proven that. And I think that gave everybody a little bit of pause for thought. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what happens this year. Yeah, actually, since you mentioned Delta, let's go there. But Delta, you know, they they, they were supposed to buy this uh, C-series Bombardier, which means just taking over by Airbus, as you just said. And uh, the problem is a date thing. I think the first delivery of the C-series to Delta was supposedly still supposed to happen in Q1. So until this March. The problem is, when will the tariff be annulled by the fact that Airbus will build the planes in Alabama in within the US? So they're doing a trick. They're saying, okay, if they get the airplane in the C-Series too early, Delta will have to probably pay the tariffs, which they obviously don't right. want to, but they committed to the, the aircraft, said they want the aircraft. So what are they going to do? They said, we're going to actually give them to Aeromexico. Delta owns 49% of Aeromexico. <laughs> so they're basically going to do a little trick. When they, the C-Series that they want, they will wait until the tariff situation is actually solved. So Airbus builds the things in the U.S., in the meanwhile, give the aircrafts to Aeromexico. Will they swap them later on? Are those wet leases? I have no idea, but that's apparently what's going to happen. And since they still need planes, they just announced that they're going to buy 100 A321neos with an option of further 100. So Delta here is basically saying, hey, you know what, uh, guys in the US, you were trying to screw us, so we're going to give them to Aeromexico. And by the way, here, we're going to buy 200 more Airbus just to tell you that what we think. Jeez. That's how it looks like. It's such a strange relationship between the US airlines and the US manufacturers, or the manufacturers in general, because Delta have been one of the strongest voices in anti-ME3, anti-competition circles, if you will. They were the ones that did all the nonsense. When, was it Qatar that had the problems landing at Delta and Delta wouldn't give them a gate and all of that? And yet they're being the most sort of proactive, if you will, and middle finger to the to the big boys for, for the manufacturer side. Wh whose side are they on? Or are they deciding for themselves? I don't, I don't know. It's very strange. At the end of the day, uh, I mean, you know, you don't have that many manufacturers you can buy from, right? So especially now that it's been consolidation, like uh, and I'll go to the next one in, in the next piece of news. Meaning that I also understand that the Delta would still have to have a choice between Boeing and, and Airbus. And it's not here making a, a like a flag choice, you know, like I'm pro-US or anti-US or pro-European, anti-European. It's just like, you know, when you want to buy a car, you want to have a choice between brands. And to be fair to Delta here, there's no actual real competition to the 321. Uh, that's why it's so successful even in the US because this, the 737-900 is still smaller. This, this is what basically where actually Boeing is thinking of creating that new plane that we don't know the name yet, 797. The A321 is a success because it's almost on a league of its own. That's why it's so successful for the, including the US. I'm sure that if Boeing were to have something similar, US Airlines would gladly actually buy it's the it. Closest thing I think to the 757 without being the 757. Right. That's the plane that I think everybody's trying to figure out. Is there a market here? While at the same time saying, we really do love the 757 and we miss it now that it's gone. It was just not, it, you know, it's a very old design and it's not efficient, as efficient as it could be. But I think we talk about this every time one of the big air shows comes around and order books start to fill up that the A320 Neo and A321 series have proven time and time again to be 
incredibly popular, reliable airplanes. And you can see why people continue to buy them. And now they're, like I say, being manufactured in the US. That just makes the deal even sweeter for, for US airlines to jump on board. I don't think it's putting huge amounts of pressure on Boeing because the 737 series are also incredibly good, incredibly reliable, and incredibly popular as well. So it, it's it's only good for the consumer that this is happening, that this popular narrow-body competition, and this, probably a better word than battle, is, is going on between the two big manufacturers. So – Delta, it was 75 uh, C-series that they had ordered. So Delta is doing this trick. Uh, Boeing, they are acquisition talks of Embraer now. So is it a good thing or a bad thing? You know, it was nice to have, you know, a Bombardier and an Embraer and, you know, Mitsubishi and Sukhoi and other smaller, and of course, the Chinese Comac, the, the smaller types of manufacturers. But it seems that this whole thing has created a, yet another round of consolidation. It's not done. Maybe it won't happen uh, because uh, Brazil is quite a protectionist when it comes to its markets and jobs, etc. But if Boeing were to acquire Embraer... I am a little worried about this. I think mainly because I have a soft spot for Embraer. I don't know why. I love their airplanes. I think the the E-Jets are just fantastic little airplanes. I agree. I think this it would be sad to lose another manufacturer. Like you say, there are smaller manufacturers. I mean, Mitsubishi hasn't really... Nothing's in service yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, Bombardier no, no. is great, but they're on my Airbus now, uh, or at least the C-Series is. The others are they're, – they're, they're tiny. It would be such a shame. Embraer was the little aircraft manufacturer that could, and a lot of people yeah. like those airplanes. <laughs> and I hope this doesn't go through just purely for personal reasons. Especially because you never know if the plane, the actual aircraft will survive. Of course, the brand, you don't know, but the plane themselves, it's it's really hard to... I mean, the, Boeing had a, what was it, 717 at some yes. point? But that's it. It would make sense for them if you think about having a broad offer for for airlines to have a s- smaller capacity uh, aircrafts as well. But yeah, I don't know. I-, I have mixed feelings as well. I don't want all the aircraft to look exactly the same for crying no. out loud. <laughs> no, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Uh, you, you want a little bit of variety and innovation. I think competition does breed innovation as well. That's why we've we've had all these leaps in, in manufacturing, not just between Airbus and Boeing, but because of pressure from the other other manufacturers. Talking about different type of aircraft, the one I always stand out and people seem to love to fly is the 380. The 380, I didn't mention that in the last episode with Will, it's almost dying. It's still not dead, but we're very close. Airbus is very, very, very close to shut the program completely down. Airbus have come out... They- uh- John Leahy has come out and said that they will shut the program if Emirates does not order more aircraft. It's not conjecture or speculation. They've He said that. Uh, Emmanuel Macron, the French president, Airbus being part, part French, uh, was, I think he just came back, was in China uh, for a state visit. And part of, the, of his agenda was to try to sell the 380 to the Chinese. And it's potentially true that some Chinese could be doing something with that plane, but I don't see it happening either. It speaks volumes that in 2017, the A380 order book netted an order total of two cancellations. That was it. I think that really shows it. And their commercial aircraft president, Fabrice Bregier, said that his job in 2017 was to start winding down the production of the A380. So they're they're ready for it. They're prepping. They've said they won't make any whitetail airplanes, making airframes without a potential buyer. They're they're not going to do anything until they've got orders on the books. You know, we're talking 
less than 10 a year for the next three years. And it's maybe down to six after 2019 being coming off the line, which is then obviously reaches a point of inefficiency and there's, there's, it's in no one's interest to keep it going. But I like the A380. I, this, this will be sad. It's not as graceful and elegant and important, frankly, as the 747, but it's not a plane I have any issue with. It's really proven popular for people that don't fly as much and I had friends over for Christmas, for instance, they keep talking about 380 as in it's like, oh, I've been for the first time at 380. There's something about it. It's coming to our point earlier. It's a different looking aircraft. It's like, oh, I know it's a 380. I know it's different. I know it's special. So I want to be in yeah, it. Yeah. So and I- it's, you know, it's a, it's a monstrous airplane. And I think that captured a lot of people's imaginations. It was on a scale that we'd never seen before which allowed passenger experience innovation to happen on a level that we'd never seen before. So it is an important airplane. It is a good airplane. But in a world where we're looking at efficiency, 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 it just doesn't make sense. The numbers just don't add up. Talking about Airbus, Airbus is uh, going through like a lot of shakeups. We had to mention a few in the past, but this one is the big one because like very basically everybody is leaving. Uh, so you just mentioned uh, Fabrice Brégier is uh, leaving, kind of lost a power battle with uh, chief executive Tom Anders. But Tom Anders himself is actually being in a big uh, this yeah. corruption thing. It, the corruption is more on the, you know, Airbus is a big group. So it's more on the defense side, less on the commercial, uh, you know, airliner. But still, you know, it's the same group, right? And the same, these are the same people. So we have Leary departing, Brazier departing. Tom Anders is actually not as spotless as he might have claimed in the past, just for the sake of saying it. The, the crux where the, 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 the ground zero of this corruption scandal apparently is in Paris. It's uh, It was a small sales division. Vision uh, for arms, I think, so for defense purposes. It was actually called, and I'm not kidding, and pardon my French, the Bullshit Castle. <laughs> <laughs> Very kind of shaky deals going on. Uh, there's even a sentence, a quote, I don't know who said actually the quote is, if you put Mother Teresa in a neighborhood with rampant drug use, she wouldn't remain a saint for long either. <laughs> and that's apparently... <laughs> It's really shaking up the grounds of uh, of Hermes. So the door is open to bas- not the entire executive team, but we have a lot of the, the big guys have left. These were the guys that actually put the 380 into place. So maybe a new management and new CEOs, et cetera, when they will arrive, they might not have the the emotional link to 380. They will just look at it and say, you know, no, yeah. no one's buying it. Let's they kill can it. make a business right? decision. I don't Dead know. I mean, I mean, they've the th- got the 350. The th- but is that... Yeah, I was about to say, the 350 is super successful. That's their hit with a 321 and 320. But is it the platform that they need to expand and fill the void? Because the 777 has been around for, oh, what, since 1989 as a concept and as a platform and has been iterated on and, and developed and is obviously a very, very popular program. And they're, you know, they're continuing to iterate on it. The 350 is brand new. Is it the right thing for them to say the A380 goes away and we backfill with the 350 and, oh, and what know. else? I don't and know. What else? So it's an interesting time for Airbus. And, 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 you know, in our, not this isn't a job, but in our job, it does make for some interesting, <laughs> uh, interesting months and years ahead. I think that Boeing is better equipped as in future proof, not only because of the bet they've done with both the 777 back then and the the, the Dreamliner uh, currently, but they seem to have a broader 
uh, offering for airlines because you're right. There's the 350, the 320s, and 21s. The 330, yeah, they will do a Neo, but airlines are like, airlines are not huge, huge fans of Neos because they're basically saying, hey, you guys, you're okay, you're putting a new engine to an existing platform, but the reason the Dreamliner or the 350, by the way, are so successful is because they were started from scratch. It's okay, we'll have like more fuel efficiency, different design, different materials. So you cannot just put Neo no. something and I would say No, it's a little bit lipstick on a pig, isn't it? You're just extending the useful life of a program perhaps by 10 years, as opposed to going from, I don't know, 767 to a Dreamliner where you're starting from scratch, I mean, which is a an investment that is orders of magnitude larger than a Neo. So you can see why people maybe even hedge a little bit of time to say, okay, well, let's do a Neo because there are opportunities to get 25% fuel increase on the airframe while we start a program office to develop what the next 25 years look like. The 350 at the beginning was supposed to be a 330 Neo and airlines were like, what the hell are you talking about? We want to actually have a new aircraft. And that forced the hand of Airbus to actually create a new airframe, which delayed the program, but it actually now proves to be successful. But like you say, I don't know, we don't have any end to Airbus. I mean, in the rumor world, we don't know if Airbus is actually planning anything else. It probably at very early stages, but even if it were to start with the had started two years ago, it won't happen before a decade that the new aircraft, whatever that is, 370, whatever the name you want, to, will ever happen. We no. don't know. We simply no, and, don't know. And I think the funny thing is that it feels like Boeing and Airbus are waiting to see what the other does. It's why, <laughs> <Clearly. laughs> it's why Boeing haven't committed on a 757-767 replacement or, or enhancement program as well. So it's just someone's going to have to blink first and to come up with something. And I think it'll have to be Airbus. Yeah, I think so too. I think although Airbus is very successful with the view aircrafts they have, they are lacking something compared to Boeing. Uh, Boeing is still has an edge uh, to me. And here I'm not doing, you know, uh, you know, let's. Pre- I'm Swiss. I'm going to be neutral. I do not prefer one or the other. I like to have competition, but if I put myself as an outside in looking into the the thing, I think uh, Boeing has an edge uh, overall. And again, I love the 321 and I love the, the 350, especially the 350. I think that's a smash hit. I, I cannot wait to see what the 777X will actually yeah. look like because that's going to be the answer basically of uh, of Boeing to the 350. And also, yeah, I, I I agree. I agree. I'm excited for that to take a little bit more shape than a a, a place on a uh, one of those, those diagrams that <laughs> They rolled out. I think yeah. it was Paris <laughs> this year. <laughs> yeah. Uh, another casualty of that Airbus uh, corruption scandal, which is not over yet, is the CTO, Paul Aramco. He's the Google guy that Airbus did hire to instill a new type of mentality within Airbus, a more like, you know, fail fast, fail forward, Silicon Valley type of stuff. And he's the reason why there was this flying taxis, you know, the VTOL, the, the, the flying buses and all the stuff that the Airbus was trying it, that people like you and me, Alex, were looking at and saying, what the hell is Airbus yeah. doing? Some of it actually might stick, but he was the reason. He left. Of course, officially, he didn't leave because of the corruption, but I do have a hunch that because all the scandals and the power struggles at the top and for the moment, at least Germany and, and, and France are kind of hands off and not really. I mean, I'm sure that behind the scenes, they're actually trying to put their own guys in there. But I, I, I believe, and that's my own personal belief, that he might have said, you know what? 
this doesn't sound good. And and probably when you look at even in the startup world, startups like Boom and others who are doing really cool stuff that might maybe one day take off. We might have a supersonic aircraft, maybe not from Boom, but these technology be used by Boeing and others. I understand why you would actually leave Airbus. Yeah, I th- I think so too. I mean, uh, would you would you want to be the head of innovation in a company that takes fifteen years to see from idea to to single light of day at least? I mean, that's no criticism of of, of Airbus. That's that's just the industry, right? I mean, it takes industry, that yeah. long and that much money. So coming up with a great idea and a fail fast, iterate quickly mentality, they don't jive together. I there must be an unbelievably frustrating role. Plus at a big company, plus at Airbus, especially because of these kind of, you know, it's very still politicized. Yeah, yeah. Way less than it used to be, but you still have to deal with, I mean, just look at the, the, the management structure. You have some people from Germany, some people from France, and the, it's one time is the CEO of one country or the other. And the, the Brits are kind of not there, but there. And some Spaniards as well. I mean, you have to kind of content a bit everyone because, of course, they jump-started the program back in the days. The state, by the way, do not uh, have majority stakes or anything because I hear sometimes that people say, oh, Airbus is a state-owned company. No, it's not anymore. But yeah, the state still has some uh, some links. And whilst there's no revolving door, you sometimes kind of feel, especially in the defense industry, because defense is much more you know sensitive yeah. uh, industry, you kind of feel, since Airbus does a bit of everything, that some of the people might just be friends of politicians coming in. I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that it, it must be coming from... Google, or even you and me were not as smart as this Paul Aramco, I'm sure. But if we were to go there, some of the stuff might be highly frustrating because you have to deal with the politics of it all as well. Yeah. Well, I, and again, it's, I think that that doesn't really jive with an entrepreneurial attitude or environment. There's, uh, yeah, I can understand it's frustrating. Although, do they still have their Silicon Valley incubator going, Airbus? Yeah, the A3, A3 A-Cube, whatever the name is. Uh, that's, I think, that's the Venture Fund. So that's the, yeah. the fund. Not sure if that's the incubator, accelerator, slash uh, whatever the name you want to put the buzzword is nowadays. I, I think so too, but I don't know whether or not the fact that the CTO, Paul Aramco, left, will that impact this? I have no, to be honest, I have no idea. I had a discussion, let, let's mention it here. I, I was interviewed, interviewed a big time, we had a conversation with Chris Grow. He is an airport planner and runs the, the podcast called Runway. Yes, yeah. If you're interested, uh, guys, into not listening no, to great. me. Because, it was you know, great I'm, conversation. I'm, I'm, uh, thank you. Chris, one thing he does really well is each episode he interviews a stakeholder from the industry. How do we disrupt the airline industry? What It's it's really a great, great podcast to listen to, runway.vc. That's the actual uh, URL, but I'll put the link in the show notes. And uh, we talked a little bit about that with, with Chris and the, the, the goal is to have Chris as a guest on, on this show because not only of the all the, the, the knowledge he has throughout his work and also through his uh, runway.vc because it's more than just a podcast, it's, it's an innovation platform, but also simply because as an airport planner, I want to yeah, hear what, it, what is job. an airport planner. How, exactly. So I just want to make one caveat. I felt listening to it because when I talk, when I'm passionate, I talk too fast, obviously, like, like you know, guys. But also I felt that I was probably defending Airbus too much. I'm not defending. It felt like I was defending Airbus, which like you heard in the past 10 minutes is not what I'm trying to do. I I think there are fair points on each side. There's no perfect way to innovate or there's no like on one side, there's subsidies and another one, there's not. So just please have that in mind. Don't uh, badger me as being an anti-Boeing because it's really not the case. (laughs) 
<laughs> that's how I felt when I, uh, I listened to it. Anyway, listen to the. I think anybody that listens to this podcast knows you're certainly not anti Boeing or even biased in one direction or the other. Thank you, Alex. I appreciate that you said that. That's true. It's true. <laughs> US Boeing, no more 747s in, uh, I mean, passenger 747s in disguise in the US. I mean, for US airlines, a bit sad. Yeah, a bit sad is an understatement. <laughs> It's so it was the last ever flight. Uh, sorry to, to interrupt you, Alex. The last ever flight was Delta. Uh, Delta flew from Atlanta to Marana in Arizona, which is a graveyard yeah. <laughs> where they're gonna basically cannibalize the jetliner. You don't want to see the pictures because it's, it's horrifying. Uh, it's a three and a half, I think, uh, hour journey from Atlanta. It was really nice because they did this special flight. So they invited, of course, journalists, but also employees from Delta. Uh, people were signing the aircraft outside, you know, under the uh, the wheel, but also inside. So the business class cabin or first class, as they call it in the U.S. Everybody signed on all the walls. So you can see like, uh, you know, the, 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 the airplane full of graffitis, but like, you know, kind graffitis. They even had a, a wedding uh-huh. on board. So there was a Delta pilot and a flight attendant who tied the not on that flight, which is that's really cute. There's a video on on YouTube about that. So that's again nice send off, but what a sad day to not have. It this is, day. it is, and I think that a lot of those Delta 747s were ex Northwest. Hey, actually, you know what? I went back to my flight history. Uh, I was flying Northwest. Uh, 10 years ago, nine years ago, eight years ago. And then I started flying Delta when it was acquired by Delta. Sadly, back then, I was not as uh, good as now as uh, writing down the airplane registration. But I still went to say, was that last aircraft one of those I had flown? I will never know because I'm missing a few. But I might have been one of the, one of the ones I, I flew. And it's... Uh, it's sad. I had a, one of your listeners as well, Mathieu Guillaume-Diluc at uh, 2MGD on Twitter, who's asking us, are there still operators of 747 passengers in South or North America? I don't think there are any. I think the only shot is really to take BA, Lufthansa, Korean Air, maybe Air China, because I don't think in South America as well there's any 747 operators left. At least US for sure, no. In Canada, I don't think Air Canada has any. So I think it's uh, you really have to rely on foreigners. Yeah, I <laughs> don't think. Thank God for British Airways is all I'm going to say, because we don't have to worry about that problem for a long time. I'm going to Florida in May. I'm going on a 747 for at least one of the legs. They have lots of 747s and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. So that makes me happy. I think they said they were thinking of retiring them in 2024, not before. So yeah, we have, we have uh, some time. six years. But the, least, the, so, I th- yeah. it will be strange. You'll still see 747s at American airports, but just not in an American Airlines apostrophe S uh, livery, which I think will be uh, it will be strange. Very strange, especially because for me, the 747 was first and foremost a plane I remember seeing a lot in the US when I was a kid. And I flew in the US. Of course, since then, BA, I don't know, JAL and ANA and Cathay and Thai. And I flew like a lot of 747s with other airlines. But for me, because my first ever witnessing of a 747 when I was maybe four or five years old was in the US. I think it was in Chicago and Miami. I flew one and I was like, that's the plane that I always linked with, you know, it's big, it's American. And I said, that's really yeah, sad. Yeah, it is sad. And actually, having a look, there really aren't that many airlines that have 
747 no. passenger <laughs> planes anymore. I think it, it's it's a lot less than you than you think. It, I'm starting to freak out a little bit, <laughs> which is why I mentioned Lufthansa, Korean Air, and I think Air China because these three have the eight I, so the newer version. Yes. Even if you only have a very few, but at least you're pretty sure that these will last for 20 years before they retired. So even though they're not, and I've taken, I said that in an episode. I don't remember which one it was because I don't have it in front of me, but. I flew the Korean Air 7478i uh, twice. It, it was a really neat experience. It's very close to a 744 experience. The sound is slightly more damper, of course, because it's slightly newer, but I mean, it's fantastic. So guys, yeah, if you want to fly 747, for sure, Lufthansa, Korean Air, uh, and I think it's Air China. Uh, Air China and China Airlines both have them. Oh, both. Oh, wow. See? Well, there you go. Thank you, Alex. So these are your best shots. And BA, of course, for the next uh, Qantas, years. a few more. Yeah. But yeah, just for the few more years. Quantas, the rumor is that Quantas is uh, looking at uh, ditching them. You know, the first piece of news we discussed here about their fuel efficiency, et cetera, they might be looking into having more Dreamliner 350s for very long routes, avoiding to commute through uh, Singapore now and, and Dubai. Uh, so I, I'm not sure the 747s will last so long at Quantas either. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I see Alex on the camera in front of me. He's having like you know cold sweats. I need to get some more 747 models. I don't have nearly enough. Ah, oh, I'll find you some actually the next time I uh, I might do Korean Air soon again, uh, which is against my miles thing because I don't do Sky Team, but I really want to fly it again. I might actually do it, and then I'll I'll make sure to uh, I should fly Asiana, but Asiana is a three eighty, which I like, as we said. But you know, seven forty seven, hard to beat. <laughs> but of course, Virgin Atlantic yeah. still have eight, and they're going to be around for another two years. So okay, yeah, I've never flown Virgin Atlantic actually. I was thinking about that when your brother was on last week. I never flown them. Um, uh, talking about. Lufthansa talking about you know respecting the past. Lufthansa has restored a few historic aircrafts, and that's really really cool. They restored a, a, a Junkers uh, fifty two. It's a very old aircraft. I think it's it was in operations in the thirties and the forties. But it's you can experience that. That's the thing that I love about this thing by Lufthansa. Not only they they restore them. But you and me, we can book experience flights. So cool. It's not just for a museum. It's like you can go and they try as much to replicate what was the experience of flying for that example Lufthansa back have in the been, 30s, always 40s. been really good at this. The Junkers has been around for a few years. I don't remember when they finished it. 20 or 30 years, I think. But they are rebuilding a, a Lockheed Super Constellation. The same one that was in their fleet in, uh, in the 50s. They bought in auction, I think, three or four of them to make sure they have enough pieces <laughs> to being able to do one that is exactly the version they used to have. Bar, and they mentioned that they will have a digital cockpit, you know, state-of-the-art, latest yeah, technology. But for the rest, for the rest, it's going to be the same. That's amazing. That is amazing. And again, kudos to them for, for going through the... The effort and expense and time to do this, it's, it's, I think this is important and it's so often overlooked, especially by airlines. It, it's usually falling into the hands of, of hobbyists and retired airline mechanics to take these airplanes and, and preserve them in a museum environment. To see an airline really step up and, and take ownership of their of their heritage is hugely refreshing and I think very important. I agree. They, they've also, uh, talking about museum, they've, and, and I found that pretty staggering actually, uh, they bought back a 732, so 737-200 uh, 
that had been hijacked in the 70s. Most of the people were liberated. I think the pilot had been sadly killed during the hijacking. The 70s, yeah. there was quite a, the 60s and the 70s, West. there were quite a few hijacks. Yeah, exactly. It was, in, I think, in Somalia, in Africa. So that aircraft had been then, of course, I think, sold to other airlines. And it finished its, its, uh, its uh, life in Brazil, I think, in 2007 or eight. The, the government, the German government, that's not Lufthansa, they bought it back in 2017, so last year, and they asked Lufthansa Technik, which is the technical uh, arm from Lufthansa, to disassemble it, to put it in an Antonov, to fly it back to Germany, then to put it back together and uh, to actually put it in a museum because, of course, out of respect for their, their, the history of Germany and of Lufthansa, it's going to be at the Dornier Museum in uh, Friedrichshafen. I mean, Talking about heritage, I think it's a very. Good I do too. I do. I'm so glad that they're doing this. I can't wait to uh, experience the various components of this of this project. In fact, it would be great to learn a little bit more about why they feel the need to do it because they are outliers. No, not many other airlines do this. I mean, Cathay acquired and preserved their two first airplanes. One of one is out front of their headquarters. One is in the Hong Kong Science Museum, mm-hmm. the DC threes. Yeah. But not many other airlines. Are, are as good at this as, as Lufthansa. I agree. And uh, especially flying them, the, the two are early examples. Oh. The, the, like, the Constellation, I will, I will clearly yes, try I will, to, to I, the book. Yeah. I love that airplane so much. It's such a beautiful airplane. Talking about iconic, 747 and, and oh, that yeah. Constellation. These are these are amazing aircrafts. Uh, Lufthansa, I don't fly them long haul. You guys know that because, uh, again, I know I'm very lucky to be flying very often in business class and I don't find their business class it is up to what it should be. Uh, especially the rest of the experience of Lufthansa for me is uh, top-notch. Uh, you know, their lounges are very good. Uh, their, the food is excellent. I mean, people might prefer, you know, of course, foods from Cathay Pacific, Singapore, or Emirates, whatever. But I mean, it's all the components that they are. The, I think the seat on, on, on in business class is, is bad. Pearson's Lloyd, uh, we're based actually in London, we had designed that seat. I've come out with the next design for uh, Lufthansa that's going to be installed in the triple. 7-9 that it's coming uh, in two years and it looks finally like a seat that I would love to fly I mean like it's nothing honestly totally different from what we've experienced Alex the one 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 thing that is really staggering they have a super throne seat so the, the layout is very bizarre but that creates one seat yes. every two row in the middle what has like these huge wings on each side where you can, I, I think you could, you can hold like a, a dinner table it. or something. It's- <laughs> I, love it. I love those. I love those. You, you do. I mean, the throne seat is such the perfect way to describe it. Cause you do feel like royalty when you're sitting on it. No one else is anywhere near you. You've got, you've got one seat in the space that is, is uh, really designed for two. So cool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's, a, of course, you lack the window because these are like center row seats. But, you know, we said that for those, the virtual windows and Emirates. This is, and United, when, which I flew on the 767. There are a few instances where I would try a middle row to have that kind of experience. And this, you know, I'm on board. I, I, if in two years I get a chance to fly a 777-9 with Lufthansa in business class, I will try to have that seat <laughs> because it looks really yeah. cool. Talking about seats, the big upper in the UK. Let's do a little bit of the UK. Uh, the no recline seats that are going to be introduced by British Airways, mostly on short haul, obviously, Recaro seats. If you guys ever flown on EasyJet, all the newest EasyJets uh, have that. I think actually our friend Eric 
at the husband intern twitter just flew a brand new easy jet he tweeting us uh, like i think a few days ago he must have had new seats so these are seats that are very thin and there's a preset angle myself i'm tall as you know guys i like those seats i flew easyjet a few times with those seats i yeah, like these me seats. too i get it why people are upset because it feels like the recline is yet another of your freedom to be taken away <laughs> yeah I, this is one of those ones where i actually side with ba i think they've made a, a sensible choice here because they're preserving the seat pitch they're the seat pitch actually increases ever so slightly by doing this. And I think the the passenger experience is better because, as you say, you are slightly reclined. Those EasyJet seats are very, very good. You wouldn't want to do it for, you know, 10 hours, but they are fine. And honestly, if you, if you recline your seat in economy, short haul, you're just a dick anyway. <laughs> it's just, that's just I, not I cool. Agree. I don't know. I had a discussion with, and I'm sorry, whoever I had a discussion with about that on Twitter with it, my friend Gianfranco. I don't remember. Anyway, I'm a tall, so of course I hate when someone reclines on me, but those seats are actually pretty comfortable. Yeah. You know, you're not like a 90% angle or something. You are already pre-reclined a little bit, and that's it's good. I I really enjoyed when I first did that EasyJet flight two years ago with these, I think the Recaro is, is the seat maker. I was like, wow, there's no recliner. I don't care because I was, it was a two hour flight or two and a half yeah. hours. It was okay. And I, and I, I'm like you, I'm totally siding with BA on this. I think the reaction is more about, you know, people feel that they have less you know, agency oh, or something. You know? <laughs> uh, I, I think I, I like it. I think it's going to put an end to the, the few, yeah, I mean, no, it, that's, that's, that's exactly the word. I, it's different if you're doing a transcon red eye in the US and you, you want to get just a little tiny bit of sleep and everybody's going to recline their seat. That's fine. But on a, a flight from London to Geneva or, you know, London to St. Petersburg or whatever, you, you suck it up. You're going to be more comfortable. Everybody on the flight is going to be more comfortable with this new I configuration. I, I also say get used to it because for me, that's a trend, you know. Having moving parts in an aircraft, that's something that breaks. It's great for also the, and I get it, for airlines to say, we have seats that don't move because they cannot break and then we don't have problems. So it's going to get used to it because that's going to happen yeah, anyway. No, absolutely. Think, all, all the airlines are going to get there. Talking about EasyJet, we, we called it so many times, Alex. They are introducing streaming Wi-Fi. So IFU streaming, this was written on it the wall somewhere. It has so to much sense. I mean, I've been raving about Southwest doing it you know, on a low-cost carrier for years and it's such a great experience i love it and it seems a lot more american airlines will was telling me this offline that a lot of the u.s airlines are doing ife and stream to device and there's been a lot written in the aviation press that this is the way forward that airlines want to mm -hmm. reduce uh, weight and cost and weight. maintenance mm -hmm. issues mm -hmm by moving to this stream to the device model, especially for short-ish haul, if not if not long haul as well. Uh, I think that works well in, in economy or single class configurations, less so in premium. But for EasyJet to do it, I might actually consider going on EasyJet again after several poor experiences with them. <laughs> I, I have a soft spot. I don't know why for EasyJet. I uh, so the 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 the, the name is pretty cool. <laughs> the name of the the system is called Airtime. Clever. Uh -huh. 
duh. And uh, they have an ad, so people are on defense about it, but they use a lot of celebrity lookalikes in the ad. <laughs> it's pretty cool. I'll put the link in the show notes. It's on YouTube. I think it's a good idea. It's a rev- it's a revenue. Because I-, I don't know the pricing. I-, I don't know if it was announced. I couldn't find it. It's probably it's not announced yet, but they will have a- a- some kind of pricing uh, a link to it. I uh, remember I was telling you I was flying United and they had, I mean, they had uh, IFE screens in front of the seats. Of, I was in, in business class. But you could have also streaming uh, movies. And I remember I told you that the catalog was huge compared to what I had in front of me. And I was like, you know what? You know, I have a you know the large iPad Pro, so the quality of the screen is probably better than the one I see in front of me. <laughs> so the only thing I would miss, Alex, and I don't know if you have, because I don't think you're traveling with an iPad, but is to find, I need to find something. So that's another call after the, the pizza in the lounge in Europe. <laughs> What do you guys use if you have an iPad? Do you use any type of you know mechanism to hold it to the seat in front of you, or to the tray table? Do you use anything, or do you simply use a cover from Apple? Or if you have any you know Surface and others, I, I would really be interested yeah. because that's the only thing. Sometimes I cannot find a nice angle to I watch. I think there are a few from. products out there that that handle that, uh, but I don't know how gracefully they they do it. That's a good point, actually. Uh, the only was- thing I don't know about EasyJet is. Are they offering any kind of air-to-ground connectivity, or is it just streaming Wi-Fi? There's a technology investment in there, isn't there? Because you could have a Wi-Fi network in the airplane to stream from a server that sits in the in the gadget bay, uh, versus having to put the the air-to-ground or air-to-satellite antennas on there. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I I will definitely try EasyJet again. So I can experience this. I don't know how quickly they're going to roll it out. Me neither. Me neither. By the way, that just reminds me, that was also before Christmas. Do you remember the plane that caught fire in the Qatar Airways aircraft? That was bad. Oh, my God. (laughs) That was bad. I mean, it was on the ground. No no one died. The flight was empty. It was like being on maintenance or something. But the thing really caught fire. Yeah, it it was completely gutted. Was it the antenna, the Wi-Fi antenna or something? Something to do with that, that they were... They were playing with, and it just it caught fire. Uh, and you know, thank goodness it was on the ground, and there was no one hurt. A friend of mine, Alan, was uh, also a loyal listener to the show. Lives in Geneva, my hometown. Uh, a good friend of mine, hi, Alan, was. Uh, when I think, I, yeah, I put the news about that on our Facebook page. Uh, look for layovers on Facebook, and you'll find us, guys. And he basically replied that that reminded him of uh, Swissair one one one. Yeah, that was crashed terrible. Because probably of FE. the IFE or some Wired, cables yeah. caught fire. Yeah. Like you say, if that had happened during a flight, I don't know if it was a sequence of events, the, the fire was put out, but yeah. <laughs> Ouch, because the images are covered. Yeah, they are. They are. They're, they're devastating. But let's stay a little bit in the UK. So Monarch, one of the biggest bankruptcies of uh, airline in the UK, in the world as well, because it was a pretty big airline. Two news linked to that. First, <laughs> it's a bit of an irony, but... You said, rightly so, that one of the big pressure that Monarch had, besides the fact that there had been like terrorist attacks in their uh, usual destinations that hit their bottom line was from BA, and that's BA actually getting all the landing slots. Yeah. <laughs> surprise, <laughs> surprise. <laughs> Are you surprised at all that this was the outcome? I'm a bit saddened because, you know, we like competition and here is not to say against BA, but I would have liked some of these slots to being given to other airlines, whether even if it's EasyJet or Ryanair or whoever else, maybe they were not interested, but I mean... Yeah, it, it, I mean, as a British Airways flyer, it is good because it's opening up a lot of routes, potentially at Gatwick, or at least some increase in frequencies. But 
I'm with you. I think that BA needs a challenger and they need it soon. The other interesting link with Monarch is that that's a debate we've been having, a discussion we've been having many times, Alex, about the pilot shortage. And of course, suddenly Monarch goes bankrupt and liberated, well, that's maybe not the right <laughs> choice of word, uh, a lot of uh, pilots. Can you think where they all go? I have no idea. Apparently, it's Norwegian. Well, that was uh, O'Leary's complaint, wasn't it? When they had all of their pilot shortage issues, that Norwegian was poaching all of Ryanair's pilots. So I don't know what Norwegian is doing to attract them. Obviously, paying them more. There must be some compelling reason or perhaps giving them more seniority. But uh, yeah, I'm glad that Norwegian is expanding. Similar story with the pilots uh, from Air Berlin. A lot of them are going to, to Norwegian. Uh, Willie Walsh uh, from uh, IAGBA uh, says that the pilot shortage doesn't exist. So I don't know what well he's actually living. Why would he? I don't uh, understand why he would say that. I think it hasn't it been quantifiably uh, proven that there's a. I think he wants to be dismissive towards the low cost, the ones I just mentioned, especially Norwegian, right? right? Oh, yeah, because, sure. It's uh, a failed are... thing to say there's only a pilot yeah. shortage if you're not paying your pilots properly. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> exactly it. The other outcome of that Air Berlin uh, disaster is Nikki. So who's buying yeah. Nikki? Well, I was hoping that it was going to be the chap that it was the airline is named after, Formula One driver Nikki Lauda, but it's not him. Sadly, he, he he didn't win the bidding war. And actually, I don't know who who got who got it. IAG, <laughs> IAG. Come on, <laughs> really? So it was set in stone, and it's not anymore because there's a there's a welcome to Europe where supposedly everything is integrated. Germany and Austria are fighting over which judge has the authority of the uh, bankruptcy proceedings, you know, because they say Nikki was based in Austria. Yeah, but most of the debt is based uh. in Germany. Uh, la, 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 la. So the bidding war had been won by IAG. So it's Welling that is buying them. I guess Nikki would be folded into Welling. And I read just before we started recording that this is happening. IAG says they're confident who wanted it? Uh, uh, Lufthansa. Yeah. But Lufthansa just basically got everything from Berlin. Lufthansa, if you just think about Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, they would have basically hold the entire yeah. market on their own. I can see but why that, there, work. that would have come under a lot of scrutiny. But I, I, again, I'm sad because it, it'll disappear. It'll become appealing. Yeah. I think that that's, Fueling, yeah. that's sad. I think, you know, speaking of Air Berlin, I stumbled across their corporate auction. Jason Rabinowitz, he, he tweeted out the link and you could buy like, you know, rows of business class seats and bags of <laughs> wow. lanyards or blankets or, you know, the, the trolleys and one fifth scale 737 model. You could buy it all. You had to go to Essen to get it, but it's everywhere. If ever Alex and I transform this podcast into something video, even if it's just the two of us sat on a chair and chatting, for sure, we will buy airplane seats. One hundred percent. That's for sure. So it's only twenty million. It's not. I mean, only twenty million. It's not a spare change for me. But I mean, twenty million. It's, it seems like not too yeah. expensive for Boeing to buy. I don't know how much buy. debt there was and what they're taking on in, no, in terms same. of uh, in terms of that. But you're right. It, that's not a lot for an airline. And I'm not sure. Continuing on that discussion about competition in Europe, how Lufthansa thinks they will have Alitalia. So the rumor is that the Alitalia bankruptcy proceedings, the judge, is about to give Alitalia to Lufthansa. How does that work in a world where there's no... I mean, Maridiana now, they have like 10 aircraft, come on. But 
how does that work? They all already have Erdolomiti and they will have Alitalia. So that's another, I mean, I, I, and here it's nothing to say against Lufthansa. It definitely feels uh, like a land grab at the moment for the big European airlines. And I think that Air France and KLM are the ones that are getting left behind. But Italy will be a very interesting battleground in the next two years, I think, because you've got, you know, Alitalia going to a new home, new owners at least. And then, of course, Meridiana being owned, oh, fully owned by Qatar? I don't know if it's fully on, no, because they're... Certainly, uh, certainly a, a substantial... Uh, and they're, they're... Yeah, because it's a foreign... It's a non-EU, so it's 49%, so I think. They're going to invest a ton of money into it. They want to turn it into another proper flag carrier. They're upgrading their very old fleet and all that. So it can only be good for the traveling Italian public. But we'll see. Yeah, we'll I see. agree. Quick news since we're on that, since we're just at Italia... Uh, Etihad has finally a new CEO, so Etihad Aviation, because they already always had Etihad had a CEO so all along. He's a Swiss guy, actually, a Baumgartner or something. But they just named Tony Douglas as the chief exec for Etihad Aviation Group. So we'll see. Yeah, tough, I hope tough, that tough. he's able to do. Yeah, tough one here. All right, let's finish with uh, because I absolutely wanted to, to talk about this. Still in the UK, nothing to do with competition, but a bit. And I want to thank Jessica uh, for actually sending us the news because otherwise it would have flown over me. You know, we have a lot of issues here in London to have a third runway at Heathrow. You know, we were supposed to have it, and then suddenly the government says we're we're going to redo another study, so we're still up in the air. We don't know if it's going to happen or not. Can you guess, Alex, maybe you've read it, I don't know. Can you guess how many people complain about the noise for Heathrow? I have no idea. They received, uh, in the final three months of 2017, more than 15,000 complaints, which is quite a lot, actually. But these complaints emanated only for 500 people. And, hold on, hold on, 10 people are responsible for 75% of the number of just given you before. <laughs> <laughs> it's crazy. That is crazy. In slaw, on the other side, your slaw is when you, usually when you land, because it's more west than uh, than Heathrow, guys, uh, 10 residents clocked 6,000 complaints to themselves in three months. So, I mean, here is not to, you know, point finger at everyone just to say that sometimes when we hear the debate about noise and remember guys i used to live under the pathway of landing pathway now i live under the departing pathway and i never complain by the way of course i love planes but still uh, meaning y- you have to take these number about grain of salt and i went back and i looked what happens in the u.s <laughs> at, uh, la lax i think that was a number from 2016 three callers so three people made up 90 percent of the complaints for lax wow. noise at the Reagan International in DC, two individuals <laughs> made up for 80% of the complaints. <laughs> and in Denver, one person in Denver <laughs> Airport, one person who lives actually 30 miles away from Come Denver uh, Airport, 75% of the complaints in 2015 was from that single person. Here, again, not to dismiss the complaints about noise, but I just found these numbers staggering. You know, in a debate, we we need to address that there are some people and probably fed up with the noise, and I get it. But yeah, they're, they're they're that's their sport, that's their hobby. By the way, Ethro's noise has decreased fifteen percent during the last ten years. Anyway, I love it. One of the best uh, landings that uh, you know, I look at the window and I look outside was landing at Copenhagen Airport in the middle of the winter because oh, yeah, a lot of snow, and it was beautiful. a fantastic landing. So uh, I'm going to let you, because you've been to Copenhagen Airport recently. You've just released, we're recording today, uh, 17th of January, Wednesday, just released, I think it was yesterday, 
the new episode from Attaché in Copenhagen. Uh, and then people will also understand the link with Andrew. Please tell us all about it. That's Thank you. Yeah, we put it out yesterday. It was a fun episode to film for a few reasons. One, Copenhagen is a wonderful beautiful city full of great food and friendly people. Uh, but my brother Andrew came along because he's wanted to come on an attache shoot since really since we we started. And of course, he, he was he had cancer for two years, he was battling cancer and is finally uh, in remission, which is which is great news. But he came with us on this on this shoot. And we had a grand time. And he's in the episode quite a lot. And the cheeky bugger did a little, yeah. did a little bit without <laughs> yeah. my knowledge at the end. You'll have to watch the whole episode to see that because I, I honestly did not know that he and Greg did this until I got the <laughs> the edit of the episode. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he came along and he had a stem cell transplant to which saved his life, frankly, and was crucial in him overcoming his cancer. So what we're going to do with this episode, and I talk about this at the very beginning of the episode, is that all the money the episode generates from ads on YouTube, we're going to donate to the Anthony Nolan Trust, who are a charity here in the UK that do pioneering work to match stem cell donors with people that need a stem cell transplant. And he was... Uh, he went through them and they've been wonderful and they're a great organization. So please, please check out the episode. You can just search for Copenhagen and up will pop and, uh, and watch it. And we do obviously, as we do in every single episode of Attaché, spend a lot of time talking about the airport. That's a great freaking airport. Holy <laughs> hell, that's a good airport. It's, yeah. it's like this perfect combination of form and function. Obviously it's like beautiful Scandi style, lovely, uh, open and airy, but you know, you go from plane to tarmac in like four minutes. It's intelligently designed. And then to get from the airport to Copenhagen Central Station on the train is 12 minutes. 12 minutes. That's so civilized. <laughs> it's no, it, yeah, you know, know it's, right? uh, and then the metro, which is not much, not much longer than that. It's just a joy to go in and out of that airport. Really, really is. You know what? It's interesting because I've never experienced the airport as a destination. I've only done layovers. The last time I was in Copenhagen, I went with the train, believe it oh, or not. Cool. <laughs> yeah, it was great. It was a super long journey. You know, one of these journeys that like is for 15, 20 hours or something. It was amazing. But I've never actually used the airport. So was it easy like to not only, of course, navigate again, you know, in terms of design, you know, I trust Scandinavian yeah. countries with Very... my eye closed. Like you go to Helsinki, Oslo, Copenhagen, you go to Bergen, all the airports are good. It's just like, is it, uh, do you have to go early? No. Is it? Yeah, obviously it's where SAS uh, have a lot of their flights. It's a very busy big bustling airport but it's intelligently designed and it's very easy to to navigate they've got really good food and drink options amenities ba have a very good lounge that's sort of up in this rotunda almost it only opened uh last year i think uh oh. late last year and you get this wonderful panoramic view of the tarmac and uh, it's you know it's it's a comfortable place to spend spend an hour or or, or two but yeah, it's well laid out. It's clean. It's airy. It's light. The signposting is a little bit confusing, just because the the way that the air side bit is laid out. But you know, I I was impressed. I was really really impressed. It's one of those airports that you think, not from a comfort 
but just from a, an, an experience, a user experience perspective is a joy to to use. I would also recommend it for layovers. I've done SAS, so I've never been to that BA lounge. And actually, it was my experience is not super recent because it was exactly two years ago. It was in uh, January 2016 that I went the last time to do a layover in Copenhagen Airport. Uh, I was going from London through uh, Copenhagen to New York, to Newark, actually. And so I would just say this. Parts of the terminals, you know, you have uh, F gates, C gates, D gates, A gates, and there are quite a, quite a few. Uh, parts of the airports are more welcoming than others. Uh, there's like more amenities, cafes, and the cafes are amazing. And there's a lot of, it's very open, open spaces. You can just, you know, sit down, have a coffee. It's, uh, it feels really kind of, homey is maybe an overstatement, but it, it feels really, yeah. really good. And it was like right in the middle of winter with snowing, you know, de-icing was not a problem like in the US or in Europe. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, so there are uh, some disconvoluted parts, especially when you go to the U.S., because we know how it is. You know, the U.S. has sometimes extra security, uh, as in the part where the U.S. flights were departing back then. I don't know if that changed where there was a bit of nothing. So I wanted to go to the SAS lounge. They have a lounge, which is Star Alliance. The lounge is probably the less good of the SAS lounge I've done. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It's just that, when you see, if any one of you guys has been to the lounge at SAS at Oslo, which feels like a home, like they have couches that's and nice. small sofas and like uh, coffee areas, that's very different. Anyway, good for layovers. It's a great, it's a great airport. airport, great city. I, I, I forget how close it is to London. It's just, just over an hour's flight. I need to get more, spend more it's, time there. The only thing that, guys, it's like a lot of it in, in Northern Europe, it's quite expensive, yeah, but it's oh worth my it. God, yes. <laughs> Anyway, Alex, uh, let's not do the next flights because we just said earlier yep. that there's not going to be Airlux until we probably record next. Uh, also, I know that you have to go. Uh, the recording will sharply end. So, guys, uh, please hail the return of Alex Hunter to our show. And good luck with your family, Alex, and uh, Thank safe you, travels. Guys. Safe travels. Thank you.